And we love the lake life. Uh, we have now been boat owners since 2007. So that is what, 20, 20, how many years? 24, 25 years, 24 years, I think. Um, what, 07, not quite 20, 15. We're horrible at Since math. 2007. Well, you yeah, like to right. eat a lot, and we're good at real estate, <laughs> but math is probably not. Well, I'm... You are now listening to the Real Estate Everyone's Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Hey, what's up? How's it going? It is the Real Estate Heavyweights back at you for a Friday edition of our show. It's uh, me, Ashton Hines, one half of the Real Estate Heavyweights, and I am here with my good friend, Tavis Westbrook, investor extraordinaire, uh, broker, uh, now small commercial building holder. He's got it all going on, and he's teaching me everything he knows about the real estate industry. I'm young in the business. I've got four flips that I've been working on, or I'm on my fourth one. I also do retail work with uh, buyers and sellers around the Dallas area, and I'm learning the business. And so uh, today's show is one of those where we just do a little bit of a highlight about the real estate industry, some of the hot topics that are going on, and we do a little bit of a deep dive later on the show, so definitely stick around for that. But before we get started, how are things going with you today, Tavis? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. It's uh, It's been a good week, so... Uh, I'm enjoying this weather. This this fall weather is amazing. Um, we could have this year round. It's a it's a little chilly, but it, it's perfect. I mean, it's just you can you can smell the difference in the air. Yes, this uh, I am a hoodie type guy. I went to Pepperdine uh, out in California, and my one of one of my favorite things was the the dress code was basically hoodies with flip flops and shorts. And I whenever we get to that season here, the hoodie, flip-flop, and shorts weather, I will drag that out as long as possible. So I am definitely glad about that. And I think today we're going to talk a little bit about lake life. And so you can talk about the, uh, the, the ups and downs of having a boat on a lake and spending a lot of time on the lake in Texas. It can be amazing, but honestly, this summer it was almost too hot, it seemed like, a few times. But we'll, we'll get into that. Why don't we go ahead and get started with a little bit of a market update. So every week we like to come to you with a market update. We are in the DFW area and more specifically, Tavis lives in Plano. I live in Carrollton. Plano is in Collin County. Carrollton is in Denton County. And so we take a look at what's going on in our local area. The days on market in general are still under 30. It depends on which county you're looking at. Uh, Collin County is actually a little bit lower right now, 21 days. It seemed it could be a little bit anomaly because there's not as many units on the market. And so you could have some things that are skewing numbers slightly, but the Denton market in Dallas as a whole, the DFW MLS is roughly 26 days, kind of depending on which parameters you're looking at. We're still looking under four months of inventory on the market. So like we've been saying, it's not a slow market. It is a small market. And um, there are things selling. There's a lot of stuff that continues to come on. And if you're looking for a house, it's definitely possible to find something that you like. 
But as we were just having a conversation with a good friend, he's about to list and it's really possible that we could get multiple offers. If you price right, I think, uh, I don't know, Tavis, what are you seeing right now? If you price things right, can you get multiple offers? Have you, have you been seeing that in your properties? Yeah. Price and rights, the name of the game. Um, I, you know, the last, I've sold a couple traditional properties this year for a investor client of mine that were, um, rental properties of his that he wanted to go ahead and, uh, sell off some of his portfolio. And, um, I've also done a handful of flips myself this year and everything I've done, um, or have listed on the MLS, I've actually resulted in multiple offers on each property. Um, but a lot of that just goes down to, um, you know, things we've talked about in our, our previous podcast, right? Thinking like an appraiser, kind of working the numbers backwards, all of those different things, taking a bird's eye view at what's going on in the market and really trying to find that sweet spot that we know the right marketing is going to bring people in the door that's going to result in an offer. So that's, that's key. And I, I think it's still happening uh, with other people as well, but you have to be very careful and understand the difference between, um, you know, properties that have sold at a higher number with longer days on market versus properties that are pending with shorter days on market and just kind of looking at what was it that got them there. Right. And then also don't trust that dollar per foot number (laughs) unless it's apples to apples. I can't stress that enough. So many people get caught up. I hear it day in and day out from other professionals in our industry. And it's always brought to me with some kind of dollar per foot concept. And that only works if it's literally, you know, we're talking the same product to the next product, right? Um, and that's where people just get, you know, that's where numbers get thrown out of whack really quick is if you're just chasing the dollar per foot and you're not paying attention to the actual sale prices mm-hmm. and the subject matter itself. Yep. You've preached that since we met. That, you know, the, the very first day we met, you pushed me up against the wall and you said, you need to understand one thing. We do not compare things price per square foot. And you're very serious about it. Um, <laughs> That's something that you've taught me really, really well, uh, that you you have to look at the bigger picture and it pays off. Now, not to say that you're not going to meet an agent when you're selling a house that's going to pick a house down the street that's a priced on the price per square foot and it proves their point. You'll still have to fight that battle, but anyway. Well, good deal, man. I'm glad things are going well for you. Well, you have to be, you have to be aware... Uh, yes, I was going to say you have to be aware of what the dollar per foot is in average to kind of know how you how you are sized up, right? You don't want to be in a position where you're $20, $30 high with nothing else to support that in a dollar per foot uh, concept. So you have to be careful to know that you have some supportive data because the general public and other mm-hmm. agents do look at that. But the key is... Uh, pricing it within a tolerance of that is sales price as well as the dollar per foot, you know, spectrum that's still going to bring people in the door. Um, You know, like for instance, what typically happens is a smaller size home is going to drive a higher dollar per foot than another home. That's, that's three or 400 square feet bigger. So if you take that into consideration and you know what your comps are, then that's how you work with that. 
Um, but there's a lot of people that just, again, baseline look at dollar per foot without paying attention to what the score footage is. And that's where they get, yeah, you know, wacky. for sure. All right. Well, good deal. Um, why don't we get into a little bit of news? All right. Well, we are leaning on our friends over at Inman. They are a, a news outlet for the real estate industry, and they have a lot of really cool articles that they've brought up. And one of them that seems, I don't know how helpful this will be, but it, it looks like the members of the National Association of Realtors, which we've talked about recently, may be losing a little bit of its power overall, but it's still a huge organization, has a lot of pull. Also, the National Builders Association and several other organizations have gone officially to the Fed and are begging them to come out publicly and just say, we are going to hold off for a while on rake heights. And this seems that it would uh, really give a little bit of confidence to the market. I think it does seem like there's a fear of people wanting, they're not really knowing if they can jump in yet. Are rates going to go up? Are they going to go down? Is this the best time? Is this the worst time? And I think if they would just come out and offer some sort of comfort and, hey, we're going to just see how this goes and through the end of the year or something like that, it would offer some comfort. In, and I think we would see some people jumping into the game, either listing or buying because they know it is what it is. And if they've been waiting for the shoe to drop, uh, they might just say, hey, let's just jump in the game. Yeah, I think the uh, the big thing to be aware of in this case is we're dealing with high interest rates and low inventory still. Uh, now, it's not to the extreme low inventory that we had uh, a year and a half, two years ago. But like Ashton said earlier, we're still in a strong seller's market. You know, with MLS right now being an average of less than 30 days on market be before going under contract, you know, that, that should tell you something, even with the rates as high as they are. So a lot of people have been on the fence or, hey, I'm not doing anything or I'm not buying you know, until rates go down, we have no real idea when that'll happen. There's been rumors about that happening the end of, you know, fourth quarter 2024 after the election that possibly we'll see some rate drops. Uh, we don't know to what extent that might be or how that's going to be calculated, but we can expect when rates do go down that the prices are going to go back up and the demand's going to go back up when that happens because now anyone that missed the market when the rates were as low as they are are seeing what the difference is and so there's been all this chatter about you know marry the house and date the rate so when that happens you're either going to have uh, a lot of refinances going on or you're going to have a lot of people jumping back in the market or deciding to say hey it's been five years now i've owned my house that's the average time frame that people own homes and it's time to sell and get another one right but what's happened that's kind of suppressed the inventory is that people are in these low interest rates right now and two, 3% interest rates. So when you're dealing with interest rates that low and now the market is what in the sevens, um, I, I haven't looked at a traditional, a traditional finance sheet in a little while, but I would say it's, it's in the sevens, right? And maybe high sixes to, to the mid sevens. Um, I know that on my commercial loans, yeah, they're in the mid eights, you know, but from the residential side with the numbers getting that high, I mean, that's, that's double, right. Than what we were seeing the last couple of years. So 
anybody that has that low of an interest rate that's happy with their home, that has no reason to move, no life changes, that's causing them to have to sell their home and go somewhere else, is is going to hold tight, right? They're going to hold tight until those yeah. interest rates shift and they can uh, buy something else because what their buying power allows them to do is totally different. You know, you're talking the payment is probably a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars higher to buy the same exact home that they're in right now. Um, so most people upgrade, you know, when they go to their second or third home. And um, that I think is, is one of the biggest things that we're dealing with now. So, I mean, there's a lot of local investor real estate chatter talking, don't stop buying. You know, you buy now because you're going to regret it later when you don't, when you don't buy now and you don't hold on to this inventory later, it's going to be too late. And those numbers are going to be through the roof even more than what we see now. Yep. Yeah. I know on one of the investing podcasts I listened to, um, on the market, you should check it out. It's by the bigger pockets guys. Um, check them out. But if you have not done so for us, please like, and subscribe our podcast. I'll put a little, a little bit of uh, plug in for that. Like and subscribe. It helps us out. But if, if you want other really deep economic uh, talk on the real estate market, check out the, on the market. And they were talking about the concept of dollar cost averaging. And that's a, a thing that a lot of people in the investing world will look at. And it's basically just putting the same amount of money consistently. You can't really predict the market up or down. And so if you're just consistent, then it'll pay off. So, well, let's do a couple quick hits on a few other news stories that Inman brought up. Um, it, the concept of the office share, uh, WeWork was a huge name in that. They continue to struggle. The office share market continues to struggle. And what this article was talking about was that a lot of offices are starting to throw in some really cool perks. There, there was an article in the D Dallas Morning News about a new high-rise office building condo concept down in Dallas that's going to have a private club affiliated with it. And they were talking about all the amenities with this almost like a country club. And so it seemed like there was a, a some sort of blend of if you were a part of this building, you had access to this basically country club and it would give you a place to entertain people and bring, you know, prospects and that sort of thing. And so it's really interesting to think about, you know, I remember reading and hearing about Google and all the, uh, the tech firms back in the day that had really cool kitchens and they would bring food in and, and all these different things to attract employees. And now it's buildings that are putting these amenities into these buildings to try to get businesses and employees to come back and want to come back to work. And so, uh, Tavis, I know you have a, a small commercial building. I don't think you've had to do anything super crazy there, but maybe in the future you'll be buying a, a five or six story building and you can think about putting in pickleball or, or some sort of restaurant or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I think the office space in general is, you know, we don't know, you, you know, it's very volatile. We don't know what's going to happen in the office space. You know, a lot of huge corporate companies, right? Obviously when COVID happened, they shut down, they allowed people to work from home, but you know, that they've got these 10, 15 year leases that the company's paying for that weren't being occupied. So I know that for instance, my wife's company, has uh, really started enforcing everybody to be in the office. And um, they're they're taking account of who's coming and who's not going. So they're checking badges. And I've heard that from a couple other big companies that are checking uh, uh, people that are actually badging in and badging out. 
the American people adapted really well by working from home with what technology allows us to do and everybody jumped right in and I think things went really well for a while and then people get used to that idea of being at home I think in the beginning everybody was willing to put in the the amount of effort and work just as hard at home versus going to the office because they were afraid to lose their job um, but then that went away right and then people became like oh well I can uh I can sit at home and I can do this and I can do that and I can, you know, work my schedule around and I can buy a mouse mover and make it look like I'm working and, you know, <laughs> and go to the movies <laughs> during the day and all these different things that people started doing and getting accustomed to not working as hard. And, you know, I've seen it even in my business where <clears throat> when I don't show up at the office, because the majority of leads that I get are other real estate agents. So when I'm not showing up and people don't see my face and I don't have the uh, personal interaction with them, my business suffers. And uh, I think that's true in most businesses. When, when you're not interacting with human connection at that level, I think it's tough. But there's definitely been companies that say, hey, we don't need that. And we're going to cut back or we're going to save the money and allow our staff to work from home. So was it you or somebody yesterday was telling me, there's like an average of 25% vacancy around most office buildings right now, especially like in downtown skyscrapers. There's about 25% vacancy right now. For sure. Yeah, I've heard that number too. And what's interesting is, uh, you know, down in uh, or up in Plano, they just opened Granite Park, which is, I think, 400,000 square feet. And so I think what we're seeing is, you know, we're seeing malls and outdoor shopping areas having to reinvent I think it's just going to look different and it's going to take, you know, whatever, five, 10 years to have this new definition of the workspace, the living space, where we want to shop and eat. And who knows exactly what it'll look like. It's, you know, it's neat to be able to go to one spot. And, you know, I love Manhattan and, you know, New York and Chicago and all those places. It feels like you're able to kind of walk a few blocks and have a different vibe and some restaurants and you can live here and go to a movie. I love that. So if all of this kind of blends into something like that, you know, I would be all for it. But yeah, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of vacancies yet. There's a lot of building going on. And there's another article about four or five huge properties have traded hands in the last couple months. And so there's big funds that have ideas and they're going to be putting money into these places. Um, speaking of big uh, businesses putting money into places, it, there are studies that are showing that the hotel business is continuing to not lay down with the Airbnb thing. And there are more and more projects that are going to the extended stay model, and they are doing everything they can to fight the Airbnb and, and in your case, the midterm rental. And so not only is the, the house down the street uh, a big competition for those folks, plus not to mention the cities and all the regulations, but it looks like more and more your Hiltons and Marriott's and all the big dogs that are out there, they are figuring out how to play that game too. And honestly, I think you'll, we'll, we'll see more and more boutique type, maybe not full on buildings, but boutique rooms, boutique experiences that you can have places where you can go and stay at the same hotel and request certain amenities and certain rooms and feel like you were doing something different. And you, you still get a little bit of that from the Airbnb. The thing they can't solve probably is the backyard and being able to have a dog and have, have that feel that will never probably be existing with a hotel but it does seem like they're doing their best to play the game and not lie down and let Airbnb and the midterm people 
kind of run them out of business. Not that that was close, but they are they're actively working against that. I think it's a good thing, right? I mean, I think it's a good thing that you know they are figuring out a way to to combat it and compete. You know, and I, I'm a fan of staying in hotels. I don't have an issue with it. I mean, there, I think there's a time and place for the Airbnb style, and then there's a time and place of the convenience with the hotel. I mean, a lot of times at the hotel, it's it's mm. extremely convenient in the sense that you're not looking over your shoulder saying, did I leave a mess, you know, in my room? Did I make my bed? Did I clean up after myself? Um, you know, it's just very simple, right? You show up, you drop your bags, you do what you got to do. You got a great place to stay when you sleep. And, you know, you're typically doing nothing but sleeping in that room, showering, et cetera, because you're off and doing whatever. And then coming back to that, to that place to stay the night versus, you know, in a, Airbnb type setting or a single family residence, you're more of kind of living, um, in that property for the weekend, right? You're, um, you know, you're going to get groceries, you're going to stock it, you know, it's typically going to work out really well if you've got more than two people traveling with you and you've got family, you know, that's where that convenience really plays. Uh, and then of course we get into the midterm rental like we have, and our idea is trying to really create that home away from home feel that you and your entire family can pick up and go to another place with a suitcase. Um, but besides ordering your groceries, you can live in that home with all the necessities and all the amenities you need. And, you know, it's funny, we have this midterm two doors down from us, right? So we get to kind of see how they're living their life and they love football. So every, (laughs) every Saturday and Sunday, uh, I think they have a lot of family come over and, and they definitely enjoy, uh, you know, hanging out and, and watching football there in the living room with the big TV that we have. So that makes me feel That's good, cool. right? It makes me feel like, hey, we created a good product. These people are staying in a temporary living situation, but yet they want to show it off. They want people to come enjoy it with them for the weekend. Um, and, you know, that's great, right? Sure. And, again, it's it's not like, you know, yeah. people having a bunch of parties. You know, they're paying – a premium for this on a monthly, you know, plus, you know, a 30 day plus deal. Uh, but it's, you know, friends and family coming over to watch the game. So it's, you know, you can't really do that in a hotel. No, no. Well, cool. Let's, uh, we're going to get to our main topic here in a second. Um, and, uh, before we do that, we have the soon to be award-winning segment that we're going to call Ashton's mistake of the week. You can learn a lot from following him. Come on and take a peek. Sit down and take notes. It's Ashton's Mistake of the Week. Today, um, I would like to share with you the mistake I made this last week. We had hired the landscapers. I'd had water at the house all year. We've used it several times on and off for different projects. And I actually went out the day before the landscapers were going to get there, and I found a note on the door from the city that they had shut my water off. And so I was really confused because I get the email about the Dallas WaterWise newsletter, and we had had water for a year, but I couldn't find a receipt. I had, didn't, I didn't remember paying for water. I thought it was automatically drafted, and I just I hadn't really paid much attention to it. And so I called the city, and sure enough, I had never set up water. And so they asked very nicely, and they were able to come out that day, turn the water back on. The landscapers were able to do their thing, and it, and it wasn't an issue, but this highlighted this mistake that I've made several times, 
and that is not having a system in place. And in, in the medical world, we call it a face sheet. And whenever we have a patient, we have their, their diagnosis, their name, all their pertinent information, Social Security, Medicare, all the insurance, all that on one sheet. And I want that for my next project. And I want to be able to have a digital version and just a hard file where I can open it up and I keep track of everything. You know, when we bought it, how much we bought it for, the lender, the rate, when everything's due, the electrical, gas, all the the utilities, the account number, everything in one spot. So if I have a question, I can for sure flip open to it and say, yep, I actually set that up on this date. Here's my account number. Or, you know, no, that's not been done. I need to go ahead and do that. And so, yes, that is the the Ashton mistake of the week. And hopefully that will not happen again. So we decided let's talk about lake life. Every state has a bunch of lakes. I'm confident. Texas has tons of them. Uh, For me, my personal experience with lakes in Texas, I go at least once a year to a friend's house down at Inks Lake. It's near Austin. It's in Burnett. It's a tiny lake. It's less than a thousand acres. But it's a constant level lake and you can build right down to the water and they have a beautiful house there. They have a dock and a couple boats and it's just fun. There's not a ton of boats on the water. It's really peaceful out there and I would give anything to have a house on Inks Lake because it's close enough to Austin that you can enjoy it, close to Fredericksburg um, and you can build close to the water, which I've learned actually there's a lot of lakes in Texas that are Corps of Engineer lakes that you can't really build that close to the water because they own quite a a wide swath of land around the lake. And it just does alter the experience a little bit. So we wanted to talk a little bit about lake life in Texas and especially DFW. If you are a boat person, you're a water person, and you're wanting to move to DFW, what are your options? And so no better person to talk about that in our area than Tavis Westbrook because uh, little did I know that about 15 minutes from my house, there's an amazing marina. And at the end of one of those docks is an amazing boat owned by one Tavis Westbrook that he took me out on recently, and I got to enjoy lake life here. And now that is a goal of mine because it is quite the experience. And that's on Lake Louisville. So, Tavis, why don't you just walk us through, you know, your options, how you landed on Lake Louisville. And we'll talk about a few other lake options and house owning homes on lakes in this area and kind of what what's out there for people. Well, Ashton, we love the lake life. Uh, we have now been uh, boat owners since 2007. So that is, what, 20, 20, how many years? 24, 25 years? 24 years, I think. Um, well, oh, 07, not quite 20. 50, we're horrible at math. We well, yeah, like to right. eat a lot and we're good at real estate, <laughs> but math is probably not. Well, yet. I'm sitting there trying to look at a calendar, you know, in my brain uh, without having anything in front of me. So, yeah, okay. So how many years we say? Uh, 15, 17, uh, what 17 years something like that more than 10 less than 15 okay all right whatever (laughs) we've been we've been uh we've been boaters for a long time um we originally bought our first boat out at possum kingdom and if you haven't made it out to possum kingdom it's about two and a half hours west it is a gorgeous lake and that lake is super deep and uh, has big cliffs all around it one of the famous spots over there is called hell's gate um inside of there they'll shoot fireworks at fourth of july and it's a big area where people raft up and tie up um so it's a raft up is considered boats that 
will tie up next to each other, throw the anchor down, and uh, basically create kind of a row of boats all tied up together, and then you float and swim behind it, and uh, have different music playing, and you know, different different good times, right? But Possum Kingdom was a beautiful lake, and we loved that lake, although. It was, you know, it's about a two and a half hour hike west uh, to go out there. So for us, uh, Louisville Lake is 10, 15 minutes from our house. And it's the local lake. It's a Corps of Engineer Lake versus uh, Possum Kingdom is actually governed by the Brazos River Authority uh, because it is uh, part of the Brazos River. And um, here locally, we have three major lakes that are technically all core of engineer lakes that were used originally when they dammed them up to create water supply for the DFW area. They are uh, also recreational lakes, but their original intent was not not set up for that. So one of the things you got to be aware of when you're out there on these lakes is they're flooded timber. Um, so there's a lot of areas that are flooded timber areas. And so when the lake fluctuates, if you don't know the lake very well, you can hit a tree stump or, you know, you can find yourself in a pretty dangerous situation. Sandbars and trees are kind of the thing to, to look out for in our area. So the three major ones are Louisville Lake, uh, which is kind of here in the north central area of DFW. And then not too far west, which is right by DFW Airport, is uh, Grapevine Lake. And then over to the east off of I-30, you cross over two bridges there that cross over that lake, and that's Lake Ray Hubbard. And um, so those are the three major lakes that we have here in the DFW area. And then if you go southeast from here, it's about an hour and 15 minutes away from Plano, and that lake is called Cedar Creek Lake. And what's, what's attractive and great about Cedar Creek Lake is that it is a recreational designed lake and it is part of the Trinity River that's been dammed up. Uh, that does fairly, um, what was the word you used, Ashton? I guess you said the, more of a, a, a constant a, level. A constant level, yeah. So ideally, it's more of a constant level lake. Obviously, when we're in a drought, the water you know does go down. And so they've struggled with that uh, at that lake this last year. But for the most part, that lake's been been pretty full. It's important out at that lake to know where you're buying a, uh, a lake house that has a, a boat dock attached to it. Because if you're on, you know, big water, deep water versus being in a canal, then you're going to have different fluctuation with that water level to allow you to get your boat in and out. Hmm. Um but that lake allows you to have boat docks. Um, and they're not just grandfathered in. Like, for instance, you'll see some boat docks on Lake Ray Hubbard, but those boat docks were built years ago when they allowed them. Now they don't allow any new ones to be added. Um, so typically on a core lake, you don't necessarily own that beach access, right? The core owns it and you have access through it, but that's why they don't want you to build any permanent structure there. Versus Cedar Creek Lake, does allow you to build based on what your what your frontage is or what your water frontage is the amount of uh you know footage that you have uh that shoreline is going to determine how big of a boat dock you can build um so that's a really cool lake and then i have a friend that owns a 
uh, place out at uh, Richland Chambers Lake, which is uh, further south, like Corsicana area. And that is allowing you to do uh, hmm. boat docks on it as well, along with your lake house. So that one's go- it's growing in popularity. Compared to Cedar Creek, it's definitely one of the most popular ones. There's, you know, an array of of price points, but they've really gotten heavy in demand, especially after COVID. And then there's a new lake being built up in the northeast area, north of Bonham, called Bodark Lake, that I think they said is the first lake that they have built in our area or maybe in all of Texas in the last 50 years. And uh, so they just dammed up that river up there and have just started basically, you know, building the waterways and the water zone of that of that lake, of Lake Bodark. The cool thing with that is they are uh, allowing it to be a recreational lake, so they are allowing um, boat docks, permanent boat docks, to be built there as well. So if you don't have access to a lake house that has a permanent boat dock, then the next best thing is something like what we have, uh, where we have a marina and we pay uh, monthly rent or annual rent to rent what's called a wet slip. And you can get these either open or or covered, uh, preferably covered. So as long as we've owned boats here in the Dallas area, we've had our boat in a wet slip. And originally we just had a slip big enough to park our boat it covered us, and we would go out and just basically kind of uh, entertain off of the boat and a little bit on the dock. We'd have some folding chairs and things like that, maybe a little electric uh, grill that we could use to grill out on the dock. And eventually, over time, we graduated, and we got a bigger slip to allow us to do a build-out. What that's turned into is basically like a floating lake house, right? So over the years, we've we've kind of graduated and gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and then, of course, being in the building industry, I've brought my trades out, and we've now custom-built cabinetry and kind of have a full-blown kitchen, living room, dining area on our dock that's covered. And uh, we have fans, and, you know, of course, you've got TV and you got everything. And then we've got the boat, and we have, we've always owned a cabin cruiser, and so we're able to uh, sleep on our boat. So we'll go out on Friday and stay the weekend and go home Sunday. So... You know, it's it's been a great pastime for us. A lot of people, though, aren't familiar with that. Even people that live right around the corner. I think, Ashton, I don't think you've ever been out there, and you've been here quite a while until you came out. So it's a, it's a new experience. So if somebody loves water like we do, I think, um, you know, you've got a lot of options uh, in our area to enjoy the lake life, and there's a lot of different things that come along with that. Yeah, definitely. I I had never been out there, and I had only experienced Inks. And Inks, you know, they have a dock there, and it, they don't have any restaurants. It's a small lake, and they don't have any restaurants down there. But I know there at Louisville, they have a restaurant at the marina, and I know your neighbors, they have a houseboat, I believe about a 70-foot houseboat, and it has a legit air conditioner unit on it. You help them renovate and they have a hot tub on top and a whole outdoor kitchen on top. It is a, when you say houseboat, it is a literal floating house that feels amazing. And the idea that you, I like one time you told it, uh, me that you kind of feel like it's your, your, your Airbnb that you can go and get away and feel like you're somewhere else. 
you can watch fireworks out there because the cities typically shoot around those that area. I know the colony does. Your sunsets are great. And so, you know, there's a lot. You can get into houses on Cedar Creek and Lake Granbury is another one. You can get into those houses for under a half million dollars, kind of depending on what you're looking at and what your amenities you're looking at, all the way up to, you know, a handful of million dollars, whatever you want to spend. I do know that in some areas, they're not as incorporated, and sometimes there's not as many HOAs or building codes. So if you're looking to buy houses in a lake uh, development or around a lake, that's definitely something you want to take into consideration is the the build quality, because a lot of them were probably built in the 60s and 70s. They've been around water for a long time and probably weekend homes, maybe deferred maintenance. So I would want to make sure that you know, you, you did a, a really, really good jo- job at due diligence and to know what's allowed and not allowed before you get into it. Because we're used to very regulated, you know, codes and HOAs, and it's hard to kind of deviate a whole lot from that. But I know in, when, you're start, when you start to talk about lake houses, uh, you can definitely deviate and you could get into something that's amazing, or you might get into something that's been added onto six times by who knows who knows who and, and what kind of tools they were using or what knowledge they had and, and good luck with all that. So, um, you know, that being said, Tavis is a quick plug for you is that I know you have a design company and, and one of your latest designs was an amazing, uh, lake house and, you know, whoever's building that, it's kind of a spare, no expense type house. And so that's the fun part about being out there. Yeah. I love riding around on the boat, seeing all the different architecture, all the different houses and, and kind of get into experience. Just it's just a different uh, way to spend your weekend. And um, yeah, if you're if you're in the Dallas area and you are at all interested, you know I love selling houses. I love representing people. That's definitely one of those things I think you should probably be a specialist at. If you if you're looking to buy a house, I'd find an agent that really specializes in a certain lake, and they're going to know a lot of those little little details that we're talking about, and find somebody that can represent you well and find you a really good house there. Uh, it's probably better than your just kind of general practitioner, if, if for lack of a better word. Do you, you think you agree with that, Tavis? Yes, for sure. You, you want somebody that knows what your goals are and kind of what you're looking for, uh, anything from price points to are you planning on leasing the property out as an investment property? You know, what areas have regulations on that? Which ones don't? Which ones have HOAs? Which ones don't? You know, all of those things are, are big factors to to look into. Well, good deal. Well, we will we will deep dive into uh, a lot of other topics. Our next Tuesday release, it's our Real Estate Heavyweights University. We're, we're going into how to flip a house and we're starting from the beginning and we're two in and uh, we, we just have a lot of information on how to flip a house. Tavis, like I said, has done over 200. I'm working on number four. I, I make a lot of mistakes, but I'm really learning. This house is really coming together and it's exciting. If you've ever wanted to flip a house, if you've ever wanted to do real estate investing in general, we're trying to t- uh, touch on a lot of those different topics there at Real Estate Heavyweight University. So if you need to uh, buy a house or sell a house in the DFW area, Tavis and I would love to help you out. Uh, we're looking for investment properties. If you want to list your house on the MLS, we can definitely help you out with that. Uh, we were just having a conversation with a good friend who is listing his house and uh, we can walk you through all the steps, what the market's looking like, what we need to do to get you ready to go. So if you have any 
questions on real estate, please reach out to me, Ashton Hines, the Dallas real estate guy on Instagram or Facebook or Tavis Westbrook. Tavis, why don't you let them know where they can find you? I'm all over social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram mainly. Uh, Tavis at Westbrook is how you find me or Tavis.Westbrook. Um, as Ashton always gives me a hard time about, I'm Travis without the R. Tavis, you can find me and we'll look forward to seeing you. That's right. We will see you on Tuesday. Thank you so much. Thank you.